This is January 2nd. Welcome to the dark. <coughs> you are in the effing universe. This is January 2nd, 2021. It sounds futuristic to my old ass. And to some, it's just another year. But to the newer minds, it is the future. Insignificantly, perhaps, but nevertheless, to everyone in the universe, welcome to a new dawn. This year we have many experiences for you. This will be one of them. DF and Universe. We'll be back. 3 a.m. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Happy New Year and all that other stuff. We are back in the effing universe. Assalamu alaikum, brother. Peace to the God. Peace. Um, I'm going to start off uh, tonight's uh, festivities with a little Guinness and whatever. You got a Heineken, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Happy New Year, brother. Indeed. Happy New Year. Peace to God. Uh, I wish you much prosperity to you and your family. And um, lots of peace this year. It was, it was a strange year last year. And it's only one day old. But um, it was definitely a strange fucking year. Trying to adjust my lighting. That lighting I had before was too damn bright. I may need to turn it back on, though. Um, I, you know, it's interesting that you say that because, um, you know, we used to say in, in, in just or in joking, mm-hmm. like, hindsight is twenty twenty. Hmm. So, if 2020 is hindsight, <laughs> then what did we learn? Hmm. That's a good damn question, brother. Let's start this podcast. Uh, we'll do a quick uh, year review then, I guess. Um, one of the things that I did learn um, was every... Thing that I have to do needs to be thematic. Do you see that blur in my video screen? Um, I see somewhat of a blur, but it's not enough to affect anything. <laughs> the um, I dropped my phone and cracked the front camera, so that's why it looks like that. But um, this this phone has the best signal, and this phone is doesn't need much of a signal to uh, go 
just for audio. So I'm using this as the audio device and the shoddy front camera on this as the um, the uh, video, okay. unfortunately. All right, well, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's not enough to uh, deter anything. Right, because one monkey don't stop no show, my mother used to tell me. Um, you were talking about um, what we learned in high, hindsight, so I'll let you continue while I open my beer. No, I was just saying that if, um, you know, and, and just we, we historically have said, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, But mm-hmm. literally last year was 2020. <laughs> so How ironic. Yeah. So if, if anything, if hindsight is 2020, then what did we learn in hindsight of 2020 hmm. of, of the year that just passed? Hmm. And that's why... Um, now I remember my point. My point was uh, Happy New Year. My point was um, what I learned in hindsight is that um, one of the strongest mindsets that we have to take going forward, or at least I do have to take going forward, is the mindset that um, everything that I think of has to be based on some theme and um that theme like uh for instance tiger woods everything at some point in his mindset in order to master golf or michael jordan to master basketball had to have that theme of mastering basketball and um my theme has always been black power. And I have always wanted to wipe the smirk off of the people's faces that have mistreated my mother, my family, my ancestors, and my history. And so going forward, that is my theme, 2021 and beyond. And everything else will fall into line. Um, I don't want it to consume me because I don't want um, black power to be the rest of my life. But until we get some better gripping or power leveraging, it's what I want to do going forward. Cheers. Yes, sir. And my question is, how are you defining black power? Now, that is an interesting question. <laughs> I think um, if if we take up the example of Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan again, it's not how we define it, but the fact that it must be the basis of all my thinking. Like, I can't get escape it if I want to master it because every time that I start to get distracted like um, you have an accomplishment or a goal and then 
you start to feel some ease from that difficulty. You start to get a little less motivated to stay on the theme. And that that's the problem. So I, I, I do need to de- define it in terms of um, effectiveness. But um, it's just out there in the universe for right now. Yeah, so um, the reason why I asked that question is because um, definition to me is, um, is, is, is essential. Yes, right? sir. Because that's, that's how you determine accomplishment. So if you're saying um, that you want to accomplish black power, then I need to, or I want to have a conversation with you about what the end result of black power looks like for you. Mm-hmm. And and if you are um, uh, connecting or identifying black power as a unit thing, then that might be something different. Because if if you are identifying black power as it relates to you and you being black powered identified, that's something that's that's one thing. But if you're looking at black power as it relates to more than you, then that's something else. Right. And, and how do you reach that end goal? Right. You can reach to me. Right. You can reach that. You can reach that end goal if it's a personal goal. I think that you can accomplish that. But if it's going to include other people, then I think that you need to be clear about how you include the other people and how they're gonna, how you want them to show up. <laughs> that is very articulate, brother. That is exactly the problem. I think uh, I'm not only the the only one facing that that difficulty, but we all are as activists in the black community. How do we extend what we feel inside out into the black community so that it too can become a force? Um, We feel powerful in our own thinking, but that has not extended to the masses of our people. So, good question on how do we define that. Okay, um, so, 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 for me, right, um, I think that you have to be the example of black power that you want people to, 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 to be or to see. Hmm. Because, if, because if, you, if you're going to talk black power or you want to see black power, then people need to see black power in you. Because otherwise... They don't have an example to follow. Hmm. So, 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 so for me, I, I, I want to be clear in whatever your goal is going forward, you know, in, in, in whatever role that I can play in that, I, I want to, um, be clear that you have a vision of what, of how you yourself are going to manifest black power. Hmm. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult for you to get buy in. That is correct, I, sir. I think subjectively. I, I totally agree on that. That's um, one of the things that we'll be discussing this year, how to empower yourself. And uh, we'll put those positive vibes out into the universe. Um, last year, going back to this recap of 2020, that hindsight year, 
last year uh, we started this podcast, just the two of us. We do have uh, a few listeners now. Um, oh, really? Yep. And uh, they um, come on from time to time. And I see it went from two listeners, which is just you and me, to sometime we get eight or nine plays. So somebody's listening to it. Either that or we're repeating our listens. (laughs) Either way, (laughs) that is our example to the universe that uh, we would take the sacrifice because we could both live very comfortable lives in our own respective uh, restraints. You being a professional in the medical field and me just being independent. I, I am happy where I am because it was the place that I had to settle in order to quiet my mind. Because my mind can get pretty out of control, as you can see. <laughs> I'm pretty eccentric when it comes to, uh, and extreme, when it comes to uh, solving problems. If there isn't a perfect solution, I have to find that out. And sometimes that ain't the best way to go about a problem, because sometimes you just have to have something rather than have nothing. And to me, it was a nothing at all, nothing. Everything or nothing at all solution, which is why I didn't make it through through college because I got a 4.0 for the first two years of college, and I was happy. But the moment that my father died and I wasn't mentally into the classes the last uh, of that semester and my GPA just dropped from failing two classes because I didn't show up for the classes. Your whole perfection or what you perceive as perfection will destroy you. That I wasn't aware of how quickly you could fall like Icarus fell when he he made the wings. He was a brilliant guy. He made these wings, but he tr- he tried to fly too close to the sun, and the wings burnt up, and he became fell right back down to his death. Yeah. So <clears throat> so here's how I see that. I I, I have learned that extreme anything is bad. Right. Too, too much of anything is bad. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I I would definitely um, warn against extremism. Hmm. You know, in in, in relate as it relates to anything, I don't care if it's parenting, I don't care if it's marriage, you know, I don't care if it's work, you know, whatever. Extremism is can be problematic. That is correct. And has proven problematic. I also say that. Um, in all of my years of college put together, I've never had a 4.0. <laughs> mm. 
know, and so if if 4.0 is the goal, it's admirable, <laughs> but it's not what you need to succeed. I wanted to go summa cum laude. <laughs> and, and it's fine. I, and, and I met people that have, but it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that if you don't, that you don't succeed. That's what I thought, and um, not not consciously. Because I knew I, I could just take the classes over, but I wouldn't get back that GPA. That GPA, once you fail those classes, is stuck there permanently. Now, you can try to level out that GPA, but the perfection side of that, the summa cum laude, is gone. Just that quick. It's like your first defeat. If you, you've been boxing or in some type of martial arts for years and you've been undefeated, that first loss is going to fuck with you mentally because you have gone into the ring all of these times before undefeated. That's what yeah. happened to Mike Tyson. And I, I, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Chris Cyborg. She was undefeated in uh, ladies MMA. But that, that one defeat can take you for a loop for the rest of your performance in that sport. Yeah, I, I think my philosophy is different. My philosophy is, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. And, and here's an example of how that worked for a person. Muhammad Ali has, has six losses on his record, but still the greatest of all time. He yeah, he understood how to take a loss and turn it into his greatness. Yeah, because every loss is a loss, bro. Right. A, and that's what Michael Jordan learned. When he went yeah. into baseball and he went into the Washington Wizards, he felt defeat. But he did not let that stop him. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I think you have to be careful about how you are perceiving wins and losses. Right. Because if, if you change that dynamic of thinking in terms of losses, you know, and look at it in terms of lessons, hmm. then you're winning. Hmm. Which is why I wanted to bring up the psychological aspect of perfection. Um, what, what's the, uh, is there a medical term for perfectionism? Hmm. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and that that is my my biggest flaw. The yeah, fact absolutely. that yes, I you could be too you could be too extreme. So, for, for example, if if you went to see a therapist mm -hmm. and whatever answers you were looking for, you didn't get from that therapist, mm -hmm. you could be so extreme that you feel like oh, therapy doesn't work. No, that therapist didn't work. Hmm. Hmm. That is a good point to uh, take note of going forward, <laughs> because one of the um, the things that I want to focus on in my self improvement is not necessarily the degree, but the pleasure in going after it. The pleasure of uh, going after career moves that I had just given up on 
uh, like I was telling you, I could live comfortably with no money. I've learned through fasting how to um, just survive, not seek pleasure. It's it's sort of like uh, monkism, or I forgot what what they call that. It's it's the um, and all, living an austere life like like a monk monk does, or a Buddha, where he doesn't seek pleasure or pursue or chase dreams. He just accepts everything for what it is. Which is way the way I was before 2020, and I had a reawakening into black power thinking. Not that I was asleep, but I was just observing for a time because I was fed up <laughs> with these niggas and this nigga shit. Um, I wasn't so much deterred by the enemy as I was deterred by our lack of power in the black community. And we are at the 20-minute mark in the effing universe, brother. We have two more segments to go, but um, I'll let you have the last word on this segment. Take your time. Okay, so um, I think... um the ideology of, um, of, of just kind of standing by and watching life pass you by as a part, you know, rather than being a part of life as it's going on, um, I think is problematic. I think um, we have to learn how to survive in spite of um, of all the things that, that, that are happening. You know, it's, it's, and it's, at least for me, right? I want to be careful in, in putting off my philosophy onto you. But um, it's not so much as to me about giving up on niggas, to use that terminology, or for giving up on people or black people for what they are not doing and what we would like to see them do, hmm. as opposed to you or I doing what we should be doing in spite of what they're not doing. Hmm. That is a magnificent point that we will leave this segment and come back to the next segment. Uh, more for the year in review, um, hindsight 2020. Um, we'll be right back after these messages. Peace. Hold on to Zoom. I'll get you back in uh, anchor in one minute. And we are back in the effing universe. One hour of black power thinking. This is 2021. The second day of 2021, January 2nd, and we are doing a recap of 2020, uh, projecting how we should look going forward. 
Brother, that was a powerful opening segment. Um, we wish to continue in that mode. Um, but I wanted to ask you the question of what was the most significant thing for you 2020? Looking back. Hindsight. Let me... Uh, preface it this way what was the most significant thing thing in your life and then in world history okay so uh, that's really, I, okay so let me just come off the cuff right mm-hmm. um, so my personal life um, altered with the stay-at-home COVID whole thing. Hmm. So, um, I was used to, you know, kind of like everybody else, you know, um, you know, my wife get up, go to work, my kids go to school. Um, you know, I, you know, I do my thing. And that was just kind of every day, had been every day for all of our lives. Taken for granted. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, I don't even know if I took it for granted because there was nothing, there was no pause in that really for me to look at it a different way. Mm-hmm. But when everybody ended up having to be at home hmm. at the same time every day, <laughs> that um, brought into, um, not into question, but it brought into reality, like how do we really feel and deal with one another on an everyday basis hmm. right because now every day for 24 hours a day hmm. we're looking at one another hmm. right and if you are not able to adequately social distance right <laughs> so let's say you know not only social distance but if you don't have the resources or the atmosphere in your home for you, your spouse or your kids, or just you, if you're a single mom or single parent and your kids to, um, to learn, you know, in an um, efficient way, hmm. that's going to bring some um, extra stress, hmm. you know, in your life, extra stress, extra anxiety. Yes, sir. So, if you're a person, let's say you live in an apartment, you're a single mom, and you have one to two, three, one to two, three kids, and now all of a sudden they aren't going to school, hmm. or you're trying to work from home, and they're trying to learn from home, hmm. that's going to be stressful, right? Um, fortunately, you know, I was blessed in that, you know, but my kids could wake up and they could be in their individual room on the individual computer. I could be in a different place in the house. My wife could be in a different place in the house. And we could literally, like, not see one another all day. <laughs> you know, like, she could literally be downstairs, mm-hmm. or I could be in the office like I am right now. You know, we could just be in different places in the house <laughs> and not, you know, interfere with one another. Mm-hmm. So, so, for me, and then at the end of the day, um, come together as a family to eat dinner, you know, 
um, you know, to continue to have family discussion, discussions. It was, it was a blessing. I mean, it was, you know, it kind of, you know, brought us closer together. Hmm. Now, for other people, um, I'm, there, there are other cases where it really divided people. Hmm. Like, they really got tired of one another. They really... <laughs> quick <laughs> yeah they really got out of stomach in one another and when you live in an environment where you aren't used to being around one another that much every day because your work life kind of gave you a break from your home right. life that was different right you know and you could you could almost stomach you know that coming home because you only because if you came home if you got off at five or six and by the time you got home it was seven or eight you ate dinner it was almost time for bed and you went to bed and then you you know so you only was having you know really maybe four you know if you know maybe four four and a half hours of family time you know except on the weekend and then on the weekend you were running errands and you know maybe going to church on Sunday so you know it was different you kind of had a schedule schedule change and you really started having to be around one another every day mm-hmm. you know and deal with the nuances of one another every day mm-hmm. look at one another every day you know it, it, it became very stressful for, for some people yes indeed and on the world stage anything significant or yeah, memorable man. Stage was living with Donald Trump for the last four years, <laughs> and and no, the the acknowledgement that you wouldn't have to do it for another four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. It, it, it was almost like the end to know, tyranny. <laughs> yeah, you know what was interesting about it is it was almost like living in a bizarro world hmm. for the last four years. Hmm. It was almost like unreal. Sin right? City come to life. Yeah, in, in, in the sense that, um, you know, we have lived through presidents after presidents after presidents, right? For the last 40 plus years that we've been on this earth. And we've seen some pretty racist things. But nothing as prevalent. I mean, when you, go, when, when you look back at what happened during this last year and this last administration with the protests with Black Lives Matter, I mean, I had... You know, my son and my daughter, man, they may have been in kindergarten, right? Mm-hmm. From the time that Barack Obama was president for the last eight years, mm-hmm. to, or throughout the eight years of his presidency. And that um, created such a memorable um, and historic um, perspective for them growing up and I was so excited because they were so young and so impressionable to to grow up for eight years of their life so my son may have been seven but for him to be seven to 16 or seven to 15 for all those eight years watching a black man be president Mm. my daughter is to be three or five you know and to grow up and to turn 12 or 13 and have lived that experience with seeing a black man and a black woman living in the White House and being president. That meant so much, right? And for this guy, Donald Trump, to come in for the last four years as they started to matriculate and see 
racism manifest the way it manifested. It, it was able, as much as I talk black history, you know, for them to live it in a modern day time where they were almost canceling my conversation or seeing my conversations as ancient history. Mm. But to live that during mm-hmm. that time, I mm. think was extremely powerful. Right, indeed, indeed. And the the contrast was to see someone like uh, the former president take over that power and try to undo everything that was done by a a pretty competent uh, president in Barack Obama. And and then with um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris now becoming the the, the, uh, president and the vice president-elect, we have a white man and a black woman. Hmm comes empowering again hmm. for me as a father raising kids because hmm. it says a lot to me in terms of raising my daughter right and, and again reinforcing mm-hmm. you know who we are as black people and what we can become hmm. and we'll get into that uh future self in the next segment um lastly we, we're at the 10 minute mark in df University. If the Zoom cuts off, I'll call you right back, brother. Um, I don't know how close we are to that 40-minute mark, but um, it's coming up. I'm hoping that I I got another 10 minutes in the Zoom, but if we don't, uh, call you right back. I'll just look for an email. Um, We are in the hindsight phase of this um, podcast for this segment in the second segment. And um, we're looking back on significant world history and personal history. Um, I got, on a personal note, I got reacquainted with um, my daughter, one of them. And uh, we were estranged for over two years, just difficulty and conflict. in terms of household, child-rearing, and they're young adults now, so it was a new experience for me. Um, Certainly not anticipated, but um, the fact that I I was open to reconnection um, hopefully will work out for me. As we spoke last week that wasn't going so well (laughs) Um, still not going so well but um, I feel that um, the future holds a place where I can have more significant in their mental I would rather have more significance in their mental than their physical life. You can do whatever you want with your physical life. But um, take some of these little jewels that I'm dropping and uh, incorporate it into your physical life. 
and you'll fare much better. Um, so that was that reintroduction to one of uh, my daughters. Um, still searching for the other one. Uh, don't know if, when, or how we'll find her. But um, we're open to that. We're not sure that she's open to reconnecting. Um, we'll see how that goes. So that's on a personal note. Um, also on a personal note, um, I wanted to better budget my money. Uh, I was successful in doing that. I went from 21 years, 2020 was the first year of 21 years post-bankruptcy. And it was the first year that these bastard credit companies couldn't put on my credit report that I was in bankruptcy. They can renew that every seven years for uh, two additional terms. So you got the first seven years and then two additional terms, that's seven times three, 21 years, they can fuck up your credit and fuck up your life. And so that's what I endured, not because I messed up my credit, because I tried to help <laughs> in, uh, my wife uh, pay off her credit card bills. I had perfect credit. Hmm. So we see how that goes. But... I'm not mad. I am not resentful of um, what, or even regrettable of what I did. That is what I wanted to do as a husband. If you are in trouble financially, I have to help you out. Most people won't agree with it, but that is the way I wanted my sacrifice in the marriage to work. Um... But after 21 years, I finally came back on board to credit with a score of five something, 588. That's terrible <laughs> in terms of credit. And today I can say I'm at 746 in less than a year because I know what doesn't work. I had to have the hindsight of knowing how to spend my money, how to budget my money, and how to build points in the credit system. Not that I would want to use them, but uh, just to know that it's hit there gives you an extra sense of security financially. So uh, I'm putting out into the universe... To anyone listening, part of uh, Black Power, sticking on this Black Power theme, is to be financially independent. So we have to work on ourselves on that. On the world stage, I will say that um, the most significant thing in terms of world history in 2020, what was the most significant thing? Certainly the election, even though I wasn't interested in the election, I could not ignore 
the 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 um the excitement, the euphoria or the resentment connected to that election. This was the most significant election in a while. Um seems like every year every president we have a new high in terms of significance um of their election going forward but um this was certainly uh four years i didn't feel it actually i didn't feel not one but i took the mentality which is not good of putting my head in the sand for four years. And I would have done it for eight years if I had to. I would have just ignored that there was even such thing as a president for as long as it took and focused more on myself. So you can see how getting my credit right, getting my relationships right, household, were my focus even in the midst of chaos of the last four years. Um, So that's how my personal matters intertwine uh, with my worldview, my world paradigm. And that's what I had. We're at the 18-minute mark in DF and Universe. Um, Any more significant things that happened personally or on world history in 2020? Well, um, in listening to what um, a lot of what you had to say was um, very uh, um, deep or powerful or devastating. I'm not sure which term to use terms of some of the things that you have identified in your personal life but one of the biggest takeaways that I've taken from what I've just heard you say is that and one of the things that I've been guilty of myself uh, throughout my life is um, being loyal to a fault hmm. <laughs> right and, and I don't know that um, well I want to be careful when we talk about loyalty and black power Hmm. I, think that that's, I think we get lost in those two things hmm. because a lot of times depending on where we come from in the black struggle loyalty reigns supreme over everything yes sir and so we bring the loyalty in the relationship we bring it into the marriage we bring it to the children we bring it you know that's loyalty over over everything and but when you start to talk about black power sometimes loyalty is not black empowering. Hmm. Sometimes that type of loyalty is endangering as opposed to empowering. Hmm. Because you could be loyal to something that is very destructive. And a lot of what I heard you say, particularly as related to your ex-wife, you know, and feeling like um, you needed to be this particular person, I see the loyalty and I see how it showed up. And I understand why it showed up the way it showed up. But I don't know that it was empowering. I think you felt like or thought that it was empowering, but it it, it wasn't. At least it wasn't for you. And I think that, you know, a lot of us, particularly coming from the black poor community, 
all we have is loyalty and we we but we're loyal to, we're loyal to a fault hmm. right and we're so loyal to dysfunctional behavior that it doesn't empower us hmm. and i think that what i want to be careful of is going forward is when we we want to be careful about mixing the two mixing loyalty with black power because if your loyalty is not empowering black the black community then your loyalty is to a default it is not empowering hmm. yes sir that is um, where we're at we're at the 21 minute mark in DF and universe we'll be right back for our third and final segment a recap and now looking toward the future peace universe one hour of black power thinking the second day in a new year um this is our last segment brother we've looked back in hindsight we've looked at some of the um, tools needed to look going forward and now we are looking towards articulating that future self 2021 would you like to start this segment? Uh, I'm, I'm open. I mean, give me a topic. <laughs> now, how about pig feet <laughs> and chitlins? <laughs> I should take a, a screenshot of your face when I said that. <laughs> yeah, I... I, I I wasn't thinking that, but uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure, you know how that how that fits in. But uh, now, let's start it there and see where the hell it goes. If we start in the mud, we ain't got the end up there. <laughs> um, so every year, I don't. Uh, this is uh, repeated as a southern tradition, but I don't think it. It's limited to uh, Southern folks uh, because in the West Indian community, the same um, technology is used uh, where they take the um, pig feet, chitlins, um, those things that uh, the slave master used to throw away and turn into food and... uh, for the new year, the black community would take the uh, pig feet, chitlins, black eyed peas, and potato salad for the physical sustenance to a prosperous new year. That is what we used to do in uh, the black community. Um, we still need sustenance today. And our struggle going forward with black power um, thinking, um, 
I don't know what is our sustenance today, or he wasn't talking about these pig feet, brother. Well, I'm not familiar with the pig feet, right? But I am familiar with the black eyed peas. I'm familiar with uh, the greens. Right, um, the greens. That's what know, I forgot to mention. The greens. Yeah, yeah. So historically, the part that I know um, <laughs> is about the black eyed peas um, being representative of good luck, being representative of the coins, the greens being representative of um, finances and money, um, and then. So, they, so there's all these these cookings that that they would do, but um, black eyed peas and and um, and greens and all that, all that stuff was a big part of um, New Year's Day. Um, and also, what was what, what was interesting um, coming from a southern a southern um, background is that they were very particular about um, the people or the first person to come to your house on New Year's. Hmm. And that the first person to come through your door had to be a male. Wow. They they literally would not allow a female mm. to be the first person to come through the house because it was indicative of bad luck. Wow. So um in the South, um, on New Year's Day, the first person to come to your door or to come through your door had to be a male. Mm. That I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my aunt, she she can't stand Southern people. <laughs> she calls them the niggas. Um, and that is a product of... Um, is, this your, is, this, is this your mom's sister or your father's sister? My father's sister. My father oh. was West Indian, so... They already have a disdain for Americans, not a not a hatred, but um, just look like all foreigners. They were taught to look down on the niggas and warn by the subliminal um, technology to not associate with niggas when they come to this country. So it's all a part of that divide and conquer. Stay away from them niggas. And in some cases, they were right. <laughs> if you go to the wrong part of the neighborhood as a foreigner, black or or white, your ass can be had. <laughs> and that, your, that's your to this day. You, your ass is going to be had if you went to the wrong side of the white community, too. <laughs> Well, they're not supposed to tell them that. <laughs> That's what the technology does. <laughs> it makes us the enemy. So you have the Africans that come here, the West Indians that come here, and they they look at us like, you niggas have been here. We have fought to get here with our last dying breath to try to make a future for our families by coming here and you niggas just sitting here sitting around doing nothing and so we see these communities buy a property and the masses of our people have no property nor inclination for property 
which brings me back to segment one, where I said that I got comfortable with having nothing. The Buddha way was not the Buddha way at all. It was a way to marginalize myself without having any um, oppression take place, without having any tyranny take place, but to make me feel that as long as I keep my head in the sand, these burning sands, I will be all right. (laughs) Just ignore what's going on around me. I can no longer do that. And um, that is how we're going to start off this last segment going forward to the future, brother. How about that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that that's fair. And I don't think that that's logical um, to deny reality or to act like reality is not there. Um, bearing um, a person burning their head in the sand is not going to be effective for that person. And that sand is burning, too. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's not going to be effective at all. And I think that um, in your, the early point that you made, um, it's easy for someone, or easier, in my opinion, for someone from the outside to come in and make judgment or assessment on people that are there in a community. Um, and talk about their ability to be successful or unsuccessful. It's, it's almost like someone moving to New York or coming to New York from Barbados, from the South, and being able to be uh, prosperous and then condemning the people that are there for not having been prosperous. Because there they they, they are things that are put in place to make sure that those people that are born there that makes sure that they stay in the place that they're in hmm. and outsiders that come in and be more successful than the people that have come there and it's, it's easier to have a stronger desire when you're coming from because if you understand poverty in your country and then you understand poverty in this country you kind of see it different because your poorness from where you're coming from and the poorness that's here hmm. can, be, can be, you know, conceived a whole lot different. Hmm. And so if you're coming from a different place of poverty and then you come here. Well, the poverty for the people that are here is only the poverty that they, that they know. Hmm. So if you're coming from a less poverty stricken situation and just or even people, severe more severe but if you're coming here and you're saying oh this isn't poor or this isn't poverty then it's not really fair to judge those people because this is all they know kind of like the place that you're leaving the place you just left is a poverty that that all they know Hmm. and so so if you look back at where you came from then you almost have to judge those people for not being successful from, from where they were but to come and judge these people where they are, it's, it's really unfair, right? Because the people that you just left haven't been successful. So the people in, in the condition that they are, but you're coming here and you're judging these people 
for being unsuccessful in the situation and where they are in all that they know. So you can come here and work a little harder and work a little faster because you come from a harder place. Hmm. You might be able to you might you might be able to spin your wheels and get a, and get ahead a little faster because you are work you are outworking them from the place in which they came. That is very true, brother. Um, I can tell you my experience of moving to the South. And I'm like, you niggas is slow. <laughs> when I got down there and I needed a job, I knew exactly what to do. And it 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 fell right into place quickly. And I'm like, y'all niggas ain't working. So it's so easy for me to judge other people. But you don't know the circumstances that allows the indigenous people, the people native to that location, to fall into that sleep that is necessary for tyranny to exist. And so for somebody to come from the outside... Either, as you said, having a better life or a worse life, they know to have a different incentive, a different mindset than the the local person does because he doesn't know anything else. And so it works both ways. You can go to the South, or whether that be South in America or South in Latin America, and thrive because you are not from there. Yeah. And, the and, you, and vice versa, you can go to the north and thrive because you are not exactly. from there. Exactly. And you can manipulate. That's why you can see people that come from the south and then they go to the north and they exceed. They got right. That have been there <laughs> right. All their life and they're, they're jumping over these people. They got to fuck this. <laughs> Show you. <laughs> yeah, we gonna we, we gonna take, and then I'm gonna be gonna take it from, but we gonna put it 
concentration camps. Mm. And the Indians must have been dumb to give it to them. <laughs> right. So, so, so do, you, do you see the play on that? Right. And and you know, that so, so. that's what we have to learn. When we do black power thinking, we have to understand this dynamic. The foreigner coming in and taking over the land, which is why you see the 45s and the ray guns and all of these uh, bushes, they know, the McCarthy's, they know not to let any foreigners that don't look like them into this country and empower them in any way. You niggas got to wait. Y'all just coming in here? You not coming in here running shit. But if we look back in history, especially the life of Greece, which is the book that I'm reading now by Will and Ariel Durant, they go through this history of taking the knowledge. And as you said, it was free for everybody to enjoy and benefit and read and study. And making that knowledge, you had to pay with your life for knowing this. And which, in turn, turned to the dark ages of Western civilization. Because they kept that knowledge in the churches. That was the one place where they can have gods and they can pay, you would pay for your life if you had these books. They could control that knowledge even among themselves and they had to have a renaissance in order to put this knowledge back out into the public and empower the public to become the gods and goddesses of western civilization that we see today the power that you see right now was even restricted in those european ancient societies that type of newness and local people is the dynamic that we are facing. They don't want anybody that's people of color coming here and empowering these niggas that's been here all along. Anything that you have, Marcus Garvey, that would empower these people that's been here all along, we don't want you to do it. Anything that you have, Master Farad Muhammad, that would empower these people that are just sitting here, they're sitting here for a reason. We control these niggas. You cannot come here, Mr. Moore. Um, uh, what was his name? Um, the Moore. What was his name? Noble Drew Ali. You cannot come here or you cannot take the teachings that you got from somewhere else and empower that local community with that. We are going to call you a threat to national security. And even Malcolm, don't, don't forget Malcolm. That is correct. I was going up the line, brother. 
And that is what we have to understand in terms of black power thinking. The fact that somebody can come here with what's considered foreign knowledge and thrive, and then some of those, one of those, is going to try to teach you, <laughs> well, this is what you're not getting. You're, you've been here for 50 years. I just came here one year. Let me teach you this. And you better listen because they know what you don't know. Sometimes we get so comfortable in our local um, uh, our position at home that we forget how to be empowered in the home. And that is what is a threat in terms of immigration today. Today we call it immigration. Back then they called it something else. But it's all about this black power thinking. We have to allow in different minds into this black power struggle. And they are not going to be somebody that we respect, nor do, are we going to feel respected. Oh, they're looking down on us. No, they're not looking down on you. They're trying to show you something so that you can be self-empowered, but you are so misguided that you think that it's a threat. Your thoughts? We have the 20 minute mark. Great. I don't know, bro. I think um, uh, looking back um, hindsight 2020 and, and further and the people that you just spoke of in terms of Marcus Garvey, you know what you Lee, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Um, it's something that um, I don't know if I want to say more powerful, but there's something that's more um, critical or devastating that they didn't face. That if we're waiting to educate or enlighten the people, um, it's something called social media. Hmm. Which is what we're on right now. Yeah, that is is extremely powerful, extremely influential, and is going to have more of an impact in terms of the way that um, the masses are going to think, feel, and think, or think, feel, and experience. Social media, um, it, 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 um, it does something at a rate and at a speed in which we have never experienced before. So, um, whether we're activists or whether we're parents or whoever we are, uh, the battle that we we are fighting right now in contemporary day um, is social media. And we have to find a way to, and, and, and we are, um, to utilize that to our benefit, but it is the, it is a double edged sword, bro. Hmm. Indeed, indeed, and it is at the twenty two minute mark. Uh, this is the end of our segment. We 
always ask the question at 4.37 a.m. January. This would be the third or the second? I don't even know. Uh, this will be the second, bro. <laughs> you see, I, I escaped time, brother. I, I, Master Farad Muhammad showed me how to escape time. Yeah, you, you was on that third window. That ain't Master Farad Muhammad, nigga. That, that's some nigga shit. <laughs> brother, um... Um, before we go, leave this segment. I have to, since we're bringing up a little dark comedy. Um, oh, Will Reed <laughs> has just retired from the funeral home business. Now, we had a running joke in the South Carolina that uh, you better watch it. <laughs> Will Reed is collecting bodies. He's the body snatcher. He's over 100 years old. I think he's like 102. Now, uh, there's uh, my sister said she's going to send me the article of him retiring from the funeral home business. But he's been collecting bodies for over 60 years. <laughs> and that was our running joke. <laughs> you see that damn hurts pulling up? <laughs> you better make sure it ain't you. That they coming to get because Will Reed collecting bodies. You remember that, brother? I do not, bro. <laughs> I do not. But I, but I do know that um, uh, my last family member um, that I was a part of, mm-hmm. um, my cousin Marvin had actually lived in New York that I had to move from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you see. He died, and the Reed funeral home was the funeral home that he went to. That's right. Do you know that Will Reed buried everybody from my great uh, grandfather, grandmother, Miss Willie Shields, <laughs> Willie Mae Shields, all the way up to my brother? That's how many lives he has taken care of. Shout out to uh, Mr. Will Reed. A celebration of life. You are still with us. Thank God. We joke about you, but we have have appreciated you in terms of what you've done uh, for those that are in grieving um, to pass on to the ancestral plane. So, shout out to Mr. Will Reed. We're at the 25-minute mark in DF and Universe. I just wanted to put that out there, brother. I thought that would bring a smile to your face. (laughs) Uh, We've got serious topics to discuss. Uh, When we come back for the bonus round, are you willing to go for that bonus round, brother? I'm here. (laughs) I'm here to give what I can give, bro. Yes, sir. And... um, We're going to end the Zoom and restart it because uh, we're pushing our luck on that. And we'll come back for one bonus segment right after these messages. Peace. Peace.
And we are back in the effing universe. One hour of black power thinking. And why is my screen blinking? Don't you go out on me now. All right. Uh, We are back, brother. We are going to um, try to get through this last segment. What um, have we learned? Where am I? Um, when you say, what have we learned? Um, is that subjectively? <laughs> um, we can do subjective and objective, depending on your uh, space and time. Which used to be maybe like 
10% of the country, I'm talking about Western civilization, that supported or um, advocated for the abolition of, of slavery, uh, for equal rights for its inhabitants, um, including the Native Americans, maybe that was like 10% back in the 17, 1800s. It's now up to 50% at the 2020 mark. Um, and getting stronger. However, when things get stronger is when resistance or the fight back becomes even more powerful or even more prevalent. So we have to be careful that we are cognizant of the flashback from progression in society. Um, so I know who Mitch McConnell is and who, who you said the other person was. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. I've heard of that name. I, I don't. He's out, of, he's out of South Carolina. Mitch McConnell's from Kentucky. But okay. Mitch McConnell is, a, is, is the Senate leader. They, uh, that I'm aware. They're, they're part of the uh, Republican brigade towards <laughs> Trumpism. And, uh, but, uh, what I would like to say is that Trumpism is new, but um, white supremacy is as old as this country and beyond. Yeah, but yeah, but but they've been able to now they can mask that right um, as Republicanism, as as Republicans or as Trumpism, or as the right. All, all of that, but it's all under the. the uh, disguise of Trump. Trumpism. Right. Because Trump has has enabled all of them right. in saying that they were good people on both sides. Right. And now you're going to get the 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 um the pushback from uh the Republicans with the Biden Harris ticket that is now in office because with all struggles as with all fights, if you look at a boxing match, you will see that each opponent has a volley or what's called um, an attack. You you throw me a barrage of punches, I throw you a barrage of punches. And we're going to have this exchange until one opponent has a more effective barrage of punches than the other. And then we're going to start to see a war of attrition where my punches are more effective and yours will become less effective over time. Um, this is what we hope for in terms of um, our political and social progression in society. But there's going to be some pushback. And that pushback can be effective I've seen opponents who were losing a fight knock out the other opponent in their desperation. Um, so it's possible, but we need to be cogniz cognizant 
not only in our political life, but our social observation of what's going on in America and throughout the world. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know that. Um, uh, I don't know how effective or I don't know how participatory that people are in, in that arena. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how effective that people see see that. Mm-hmm. So, um, with that being said, um, I mean, we, we're, we're in a position right now politically where um, Georgia is like the the fire the the, the fire ground right now mm-hmm. in, in terms of the Senate race. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia has to win. Mm-hmm. If Georgia if Georgia doesn't win, um, and I know how you, oh, I know exactly <laughs> how you, but um, those ultimatum uh, statements. <laughs> say it again. Those ultimatum statements. Yeah. So so um, right now politically, um, if Georgia wins democratically, that says that that removes Lindsey Graham as. Uh, um, that removes him and his power as relates to um, being the speaker um, or being the powerhouse um, in the Senate. Mm-hmm. The Democrats then become the power, not only in the Senate, but then they become the power in, in the House of Representatives. That changes things in terms of what we can do politically. Mm-hmm. Now, I know everybody doesn't buy into politics and all that other stuff, I, and, and I get it, but for the people that do participate, it's a big thing. It's a big deal. Indeed. Indeed. Um, what are your... Hmm, this is the point where I would ask you for um, solutions, but we didn't even present a problem this time. We were more so reflecting on our lives for 2020 in our lives going forward in terms of uh, black power. Um, well, I, think, I, 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 I think we did, probably not intentionally, but unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Because, if we, because if we look at our life or our lives prior to COVID-19, prior to Donald Trump, or prior to 2020, where, where were we? Where were we? Where were we trying to go? And where? And what? And where did we accomplish in 2020? Hmm. You know. And so, if 2020 divided us as friends, if 2020 divided us as family, if 2020 divided us as political views, because families were destroyed as a result of Donald Trump being the president. Hmm. You know, friends were. Friendships were being destroyed as a result of Donald Trump. Hmm. You know, so even if the question wasn't asked directly, it was asked indirectly. If we said, what's the reflection of what 2020 looked like? Hmm. Right. So what what 2020 looked like for a lot of us, it, it wasn't just 2020. It was 2016 up to 2020. You know, so what has the last four years of our lives looked like 
And I have to say, man, I think for a lot of people in America, it was turmoil. Right. You know, and I think that while it speaks volumes that um, Biden and Kamala was able to win, but they were only able to win by not that much. Hmm. So it speaks volumes to where the country um, is mentally. So, and, and, and I'm going to say that because I want to add a, a particular point. Um, something that I had written out prior to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I had watched a Mike Tyson um, uh, podcast in which he participated in. And he talked about um, his confidence, his ego. He talked about his childhood. talked about his relationship with his mom. And he had said that as a child, how problematic he was for his mom. Mm-hmm. How problematic he was as a, as a kid. How he used to rob, how he used to steal. Um, how his mom was into drugs and his sex life. His father the same way. And they would have people over at the house. And when they would have people over at the house, that he would know that they were there. So he would go over and rob the house. <laughs> And so he talked about, you know, him being a kid um, and how his mom had constantly um, had to come and bail him out um, of jail and being locked up and all this other stuff. And then when he started boxing and when he got connected with Customato and all that, he, his mom couldn't understand why he wanted um, to be connected or why he wanted to be adopted by a customata and all these white people she couldn't understand that Mm -hmm. but he said that when he had came home after all these trainings and and all these boxing matches that he told his mom he said look I'm going to be the greatest or the youngest heavyweight champion of the world and he said he was talking so arrogant that his mom felt some kind of way that he was talking this way. She was so used to him being a failure and Mm -hmm. not having confidence that it made her uncomfortable to hear hear him talk so confident, Mm -hmm. talk so arrogant about now that he no longer was this, this loser, but it made her uncomfortable for him not to be this loser anymore. Mm. Or to talk about, or to be a loser, but to talk this level of confidence about who he could be, potentially. And it was easier for his mom to accept him being that loser rather than accept his level of confidence about him being something different than that. And him being a champion and him something being a success. It was harder for her to accept him being a, being a success than it was to accept him being a loser. Hmm. That's very powerful. That is something that we need to study. Um, not just uh, Mike Tyson, but the way that people can come into our lives and we could be a total failure or struggling with life in general, but turn out to be a great success. 
based on somebody just coming into your life and saying, hey, stop thinking this way and start thinking this way. And, and the people that are used to you or rather you see, or rather them see, they rather see you as a failure. Right. And see you as a success. Right. Because at least, at least they know who you are. It's easier. It's easier. Easier for them to to continue to see you be a failure than it is for them to accept you being successful. Right, because once they see you being successful, they have to examine themselves, and that is what they do not want to do. Which is what I had to do. I said, you know what? I gotta look back at myself. I'm too comfortable with the self that I've created. I've created this universe, but um, I haven't examined it. I've just created it. I haven't said that um, these are going to be the rules. These are going to be the themes. These are going to be the way I think about this universe. I just created it. And when you meet somebody that's on on this path for enlightenment, for power, you're going to see that you need to examine yourself. And that's what we're hoping for in the, in the universe. We want to see that psychotherapy come through. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that I was finished. That was it. And no, but I want to make sure that everybody heard heard the last part of what you just said. We we want to see that psychotherapy come through. Okay. Because what I want everybody that's in the F universe that are listening to understand that you are responsible for everything that you allow to come into your universe. Hmm. Everything and everybody that comes into your your space in your universe, you are responsible for it. Hmm. If it's an individual, if it's depression, if it's sadness, if it's happiness, it is your responsibility once you allow it to come into your space. Hmm. When, when, when you see yourself as a victim, you relinquish the power to be able to control your situation. Mm. If you are not going to take responsibility for whatever is coming to your space, whatever is coming to your life, whatever is coming to your universe, it is your responsibility. Fault and responsibility do not exist in the same place at the same time. <laughs> it is not, it, it doesn't matter that your mom or that your dad wasn't there in your life or that your mate cheated, your spouse cheated. None of that stuff matters at the end of the day. When you become an adult, it is your responsibility to take responsibility of your life. It's It's no longer your mom's fault. It's no longer your dad's fault. It's no longer your spouse's fault. It is now your fault. I know that it doesn't make sense because you want them to pay. 
end of the day, it is your responsibility for your happiness. <laughs> yes, sir. That is where we want to be. Um, we we sometimes take the long way to get there, but that is the joy of the journey, finding that light. And what you said is so profound because we need to understand this post-traumatic slave syndrome, whether we get it compensated for it or not. We need to understand it moving forward. And you just broke it down. Um, over this last hour of Black Power Thinking, you brought it right back to where we need to be. What, uh, what, is, what is the world we're creating? And how will we manage it going forward? The, uh, and, and, and it starts with you. Hmm. Indeed. I, I wanted to um, just touch lastly on that post-traumatic slave syndrome over all of the things we just discussed and give you the last word on that. Well, I think um, if we're talking about post-traumatic slave syndrome, um, so much of what happens in post-traumatic slave, slave syndrome is what we don't know. And it's happening in our unconscious, our unconsciousness. So we don't know that we are responding and we have these behaviors and we have these psychological thought processes as a result of post-traumatic slave syndrome. And some of us don't even want to acknowledge that post-traumatic post slave syndrome exists or the history and the impact of what that did to us. But if we bring it, what was what's interesting or what's extremely in, in, impactful is that even if we want to deny it, what we talked about earlier in this podcast, in terms of Trump, in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the, the protests, in terms of if we wanted to deny all the things that happened in the 60s and the, 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 the 50s and the 30s and the 20s, all the way back to slavery, we saw a recap of that in 2020 hmm. under this administration. We saw a continued history of police brutality. Hmm. We saw a continued history of what has happened to black men and women in this country. Hmm. You cannot deny post-traumatic slave, slave syndrome, whether it's black people or white people, because they have continued to treat black people in this country the same way they have treated our ancestors. So whether or not you agree or disagree, the reality is real. We continue to die under post-traumatic slave syndrome. Hmm. And suffer under that same um, understanding. The part of the, the only way that you can deny it is sticking your head in that burning sand. <laughs> you know that it ain't gonna um, result in anything good, but at least you get to escape your reality. That is what um, 
these mind-numbing things do to us. They're severe, but they obfuscate a, a, a different severity. Uh, yeah, you're not, but you're not actually escaping. Escaping, you're actually hiding. Right. When you come up from the hiding place, it's still when you come up. There you go. It's still there, and that's what yeah. we need to know going forward. And this has been another exhilarating segment, brother. Another um, day in the life of Black Power Thinking, which I thank you for. And um, I just wanted to end this podcast on a positive note. And that was it, brother. No matter what you think, the reality that you thought you left behind is right behind you. Absolutely. What we've left behind in 2020, and we move forward to a new year and new thinking, is that reality is still right behind you. Stay cognizant, stay aware, and we will see you for a prosperous new year. Hold on, brother. Well, in this podcast. Peace.